following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. It says, don't bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. This is, I think this is probably the polite version of this response. Um, and we have to remember, again, um, this, was, this was written in the first century. So living in the first century, um, the dwellings and stuff were very different. First century Palestine was pretty much one, uh, one room living for most families, right? Their, their house was only so big and everybody was in that um, one room. Uh, there may, may have been a raised area um, where the cooking and the sleeping was done. Um, So imagine if your whole family lives in one room and banging on somebody's door in the middle of the night, um, it meant that everybody in the house was awake. (laughs) So it doesn't mention that there was a sleeping baby. or I'm sure that the the response would be much less polite. You woke up the baby, hasn't slept for three days, and neither have we. Thanks. Right? So uh, the truth of the matter is the houses were uh, built so close together, sometimes they shared adjoining walls. Uh, So one house was here, another house was here, right, like row houses. So if you knock on one person's door and wake that family up, there's a pretty good chance you woke up that family over there and that family over there. And what's all that commotion going on across the street? And everybody in town is now awake. Because this guy wasn't a good Cub Scout and and wasn't prepared for somebody to stop by in the middle of the night with bread. None of this makes any difference at all. (laughs) Regardless of whether or not uh, everybody lived together or he's waking up the whole neighborhood, um, this man persisted and his friend relented. And he said to them, which of you has, who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Because of his impudence, a word that bears some definition, I think. Impudence. What does this word mean? Just the English word. It means uh, audacity. It means insolence. It means shamelessness. It means a lack of sensitivity to what is proper. Is it proper to go bang on your neighbor's door at midnight to wake him up for some bread? No. That's not what we do in polite society. This man shamelessly persisted in asking for bread in the face of all that seems reasonable. And to this, Jesus adds the following words. He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, 
remember, these words were not written originally in English. They were written in Greek. And in Greek, it's a lot easier to tell the tense of a particular word than it is in English. The tenses of the Greek words, this is, you did not sign up for this, but you're going to get it anyway. The tenses for the Greek words, ask, seek, and knock, are important. Perhaps you've heard this before. They are in the present active imperative tense, right? Which means um, that the instruction is to keep on asking and don't stop. Keep on seeking and don't stop. Keep on knocking and don't stop. And it will be given to you and you will find and it will be open to you. Now, take a minute and think about this. What kind of picture of prayer does this paint in your mind? We have an impudent friend who shamelessly disregards polite rules of society and bangs on his friend's door at midnight and keeps banging until he wakes up because he is seeking bread for his friend. And he keeps asking until he gets what he wants. Now think about that in the context of prayer. The clear implication, modern teaching at least, is that we are the friend, right? Who has a guest um, show up at midnight with no bread to offer them. And so we go to God with our need and we persistently must keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking until what? Till we get what we want, right? Let's, let's be honest. It's keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking until God gets so annoyed with us that he relents and gives us what we want. He just wants us to shut up and go away. I will, okay, fine. You can have the thing. Just stop already. This is how I always saw this. This is how I always looked at this parable, that I'm just going to keep on bugging God until he gives me what I want. Is that really what Jesus is saying? I think we tend to get wrapped up in the ask, seek, knock part, but remove it from its whole context. Um, And its whole context is what makes this passage way more beautiful than this picture. Ask, seek, knock makes for better songs, I guess. But look at verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The instructions here from Jesus are not just keep on praying for whatever it is, whatever thing it is, until God relents. That's not what he's saying. We're certainly encouraged to pray by the Lord Jesus and not give up. But not like the impudent friend at the door of an annoyed and formerly sleeping former friend. Warren Wiersbe said, in this parable, Jesus did not say that God is like a grouchy neighbor. In fact, it's just the opposite. If a tired and selfish neighbor finally meets the needs of a bothersome friend, how much more will a loving heavenly father meet the needs of his own dear children? 
there's a lot of psychology in this because sometimes how we view Father God is based on how we view our earthly father. If our earthly father is distant, we think of God as distant. If, we, if our earthly father uh, was loving, we think of our heavenly father as loving. If our earthly father was abusive, we tend to see our heavenly father as cruel. If we didn't know our earthly father, knowing our heavenly father seems impossible. Jesus doesn't give us the threefold instruction to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking because the Father won't li- listen to us until we put adequate time in. We're not on the clock here. I think he gives us this instruction because of our own mistrust that God knows what is best for us. We ask and keep on asking because we don't trust that he's heard us. We seek and we keep on seeking because we think that he has hidden what is good for us. We knock and we keep on knocking because we think that he has locked away what is best for us. Because let's be honest, our definition of what is best for us is based on what we want. And usually, or rarely, has anything to do with what God knows is best for us. What if what God knows is best for you means you lose your job? What if what is best for you, God knows, means you lose your house? What, what if, it, if it's losing a friend? What if it's a division in your own household? What if, what if it's your health falling apart? Do we not trust God to bring us through those hard times? Do we not trust that he really does have our best in mind, even if it's hard? I've said it before, hard doesn't always mean bad. We are instructed to persist in prayer, but not so that God will relent, so we will relent. Because when we pray, our hearts change. We don't change the heart of God. He changes our hearts. After a while, we start to question our motivation if we are wise. And we start to ask ourselves, why do I want this thing I keep praying for? Is it for my glory or for his? Is it so that my life would be easier and more comfortable? So things wouldn't be so hard for me or for those that I love? Is that our motivation to prayer? Let's be honest. Yes, that's mine. I just want my life to be easy. I just want it to go smoothly. I don't want to have any problems. If you want problems, we need to have a, like, let's make an appointment. Jesus said in Matthew 6, to, uh, 25 to 33, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, What you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, unbelievers, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's the important part right there at the end. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things, he's going to take care of that. God knows what is good for us, and what is good for us is more of him. Not more stuff. It's not more money. It's not more ease. It's not more comfort. It's more of him. When we recognize our dependence on him and make his kingdom on his and his glory our priority, our prayers start to shift. Our focus in prayer starts to move away from the things that we want to the things that will bring our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ the most glory. So if that means my health suffers, solo dea gloria. God's glory alone. But we are certainly instructed here to pray sincerely, consistently, and urgently. But we are not heard by a grouchy God that just wants us to leave, a, leave him alone. We are instead heard by a loving Heavenly Father that wants better for us and better for those that we love than we could ever understand. He wants better for his church than we could ever realize. John Calvin wrote, Nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we shall be heard. Those who doubt can only pray in an indifferent manner. And prayer, unaccompanied by faith, is an idle and unmeaning ceremony. Accordingly, Christ, in order to excite us powerfully to do this part of our duty, not only enjoins what we ought to do, but promises that our prayers will not be fruitless. I wonder, do you pray as if you are heard? I mean, do you ever feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling? They're not. They're not. If God is omnipresent... He is everywhere all at once, here with us, here in the quietness of your room, in your car, at work, at your bench, in your kitchen, wherever you find yourself. He hears your prayers. He is a loving heavenly father, not a grouchy neighbor <laughs> that just wishes you would shut up and leave him alone. Ephesians 3, 11 and 12 says that we have boldness and access with confidence to the Father through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can, as R.C. Sproul said, pray like we mean it. Because we have a good, loving, heavenly Father that wants to give us good things according to his good and perfect will. For his glory alone. And when we pray for things that are not according to his will, 
He will say no. And he'll say no for our good. He will say no for the good of others. He will say no for the good of his church. So when we pray, we pray like the Lord Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this brief word and powerful reminder that you are not a grouchy neighbor that just has to put up with us because you said you would or that you answer our prayers to make us leave you alone. We're so grateful that you are the kind of father that knows how to give good things to his children. And you will not keep from us what is for our real good, not just our comfort or our ease. Father, we ask that you would teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as we ought, with your glory in mind and not our own. We're so thankful for your great love for us. We're so thankful that you are not a distant deity, but you're a loving Father that knows how to give us good gifts. And we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.